Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning. Good morning, church. Morning. morning. Um, wow. Church here. It's great. Great to see. Encouraging to me as a speaker. Uh, see the back wall. Shout out to the back wall. Hi. Um, and uh, I, I did notice in the uh, announcements before we started, there was a promise that Elijah would be speaking today. Um, that, that is Elijah Culpepper. I'm an elder here. Um, for those that might have been expecting a visitor. But um, we, are, we are going to start this morning a series on uh, unity. We're going to be starting with John chapter 13 through 17 this year to really, to really focus us as a church on what does Jesus think about unity and how does Jesus model and teach unity in the church. I'd like to start uh, with reading John 13, 1, the first verse in, in this passage. This is really a transition in the book of John as Jesus begins his final days before the cross. Now, before the feast of the Passover... This is John 13, 1. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your model. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your life and sacrifice. Holy Spirit, um, help me this morning. Give me your words. I pray, God, that your word would go forth this morning and accomplish its purpose. I pray that you would begin to work in us, God, in a new way. Your desire for us, your church. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so my first question is whether anyone has ever had their feet washed. We're going to be reading about foot washing this morning. Anyone ever had your feet washed? Okay, I see on the Zoom, no foot foot washing. Okay, well, I guess it's a bit of a trick question. Uh, were, Were you ever in a state when you could not wash your own feet? Thinking way, way, way back. Any, anybody come out of the womb washing your own feet? So I think all, you know, all of us have had experience washing feet. And I think some of uh, the, the, this passage we're about to read is, is we really need to be able to read this passage uh, with two sets of eyes. We really need to read this passage about foot washing with the physical set of eyes. Sometimes our feet get dirty and they need to be washed. Sometimes we can't do that ourselves. But we also need to be looking with spiritual eyes about what Jesus is trying to show us about his kingdom and about his character. 
So let's read that together. We're going to read um, verses 2 through 17 of John chapter 13. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, girded himself. Then he pours water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he comes to Simon Peter. He says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter says to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter says to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus says to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, truly, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. So I, I would like to share an example that I think of often when I read this passage. And it started with a, f- a friend of mine uh, 20 years ago. Uh, there was a man who I grew close with. He was uh, a very committed follower of Christ. And I learned a lot from him about uh, substance abuse recovery. He had recovered from alcoholism. And he had dedicated you know, his ministry to really ministering to those who were recovering from addiction. And he was one of the two men in my life um, at that time who taught me a lot about this and really challenged uh, my comfort zone and also helped me to see God's view of uh, just what Matt was saying before, that, that none of us are ever out of the reach of God's grace. Uh, he was engaged to be married, and his fiance was <clears throat> uh, struck by a brake drum that came off of an overhead overpass while she was driving in the face. And, um, you know, it was definitely, there was, there was a, a touch and go, but it took a long time for her to go through the surgeries that she needed um, to recover and then also to re- reconstruct her face. And I watched him through this time and the commitment that he had, um, you know, I haven't asked him if he physically needed to wash her feet, but he was by her side and walked through that process with her. Um, and that, you know, he was a good friend. He taught me about ministry, but 
that in particular, I think, was the main reason that when Stephanie and I were engaged, we uh, asked them to do our premarital counseling. And we, uh, we, we learned a lot from them. And um, he was in our wedding, and when I asked him to participate, he said, yes, here's what I'm going to do. It's like, well, I didn't, I think we kind of already had a plan for your part. <laughs> He's like, here's what I'm going to do. You are going to wash Stephanie's feet. And uh, I thought that was a great idea. You know, it was, I, I'd not argued in, in our community. We had done um, foot washing before. So, I mean, I, I knew that it could happen and it didn't have to be completely awkward and, it, you know, could, something good could come of it. Um, so, you know, he didn't have to convince me, but um, that this is, a, this is a testimony for my wife and I that this is how we began our marriage was through uh, something kind of like what Jesus did. And <clears throat> I, I, think, I think each of us has probably, like I said, at least has an example. You can think back to your parents washing your own feet when you were young. Um, if you have an old, older brother or sister who maybe had to take care of you. Um, and some of us, maybe for, for medical reasons or, or illness, we've had to have somebody really treat us like that. Maybe have to wash our body and sponge, give us a sponge bath. But what I'd like to do this morning is look at this passage, as I said, through these two sets of eyes, through the spiritual um, as well as through the physical. What does it mean for us um, as a church today? Um, because uh, I, th- I think, as, I, as, as I've you know, seen in here and seen on Zoom, I, I think it's not maybe that common for us to actually wash uh, other adults' feet. So let, let's walk through that. And when I am studying the Gospels, um, one of the things that I like to do, and I think is really helpful, is to focus on what Jesus said. So we're going to do that. We're going to go through this passage uh, a couple of different ways. The first way is we're going to really focus on what Jesus said. So the first thing Jesus says here is in verse 7. Uh, if you've got a paper Bible, it's easier because it's red. But um, But uh, anyway, if you don't, uh, verse 7. What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Okay, so clearly Peter doesn't understand what's happening here. But Jesus is telling him, you will understand. And hereafter means not like in two minutes, but there will come a time in the future when you will understand what I am asking you to let me do, okay? So that's the first insight, that the meaning of this is not immediately obvious. It's not obvious to Peter before it happens, and it's not immediately obvious what Jesus is trying to teach them, even the second that he finishes washing Peter's feet. And then in verse 8, Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Okay, and when Jesus says, you have no part with me, this is the, the words that he's using are really very similar to the words that are spoken of about the inheritance that Israel has. And Jesus is saying, and clearly it means more than you can't sit with me for the rest of the dinner. He's saying something, you, you do not share a relationship with me. You do not share in my purpose if you do not allow me to wash you. So again, wow, Jesus, you've been teaching for three years. And then at the end, what you throw in is actually the, the only thing you need to do is let me wash your feet. That seems out of the blue. 
But Jesus is, is promising you will understand later why this is so meaningful. And this is part of my salvation. Then in verse 10, Jesus says, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. So if we're looking at this in the physical, this makes sense. If you've bathed, but then you go and walk and you're wearing sandals outside, you don't need to take another bath, right? So, or, you know, if you've been playing outside all day and you're really, really sweaty, you would argue, I don't really need to wash my hair, do I, mom and dad? And, you know, we would say, actually, yes, you do. You, you do need to wash your hair again. But... The physical here is that when you are outside walking in the dirt and getting your feet dirty, then what do you need to clean? Well, that's what you need to clean. But then Jesus says, you are clean, but not all of you. Okay, so he, I think here, actually could mean two different things. In the same way, you all, I'm assuming, took baths at some point. You know, back then it probably wasn't that morning. But you, you are relatively clean, except your feet are dirty, and that's why I'm washing your feet. But actually, John explains that what Jesus meant was Judas was not clean. You know, and this is, again, so we kind of ask, well, does that mean Judas didn't have the hygiene of the other disciples? No, what he means is Judas himself, in his heart, had not submit himself to the lordship and the mastery of Jesus. He was on his own path, and this is what makes him dirty. He had not submitted himself to Christ. So then in verse 12, Jesus says, Do you know what I've done to you? So he's washed their feet, and then he's explaining, This is what I've done. I'm going to tell you what I've just done. You call me teacher and Lord. You call me master, and you're right. I am the teacher, and I am your master. It is, it is right and good for you to call me these things. But if I have done this as your Lord and your teacher, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Well, there should not be a barrier there should not be an authority barrier. There should not be a maturity barrier. There should not be a nobility barrier because I have just demonstrated crossing the largest of those in every category by washing your feet. Then in verse 15, he says, I give you an example that you also should do as I did to you. So this is an example. There should be things you do that look like this. <clears throat> and truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So verse 16 is very similar. He's saying, I've sent you, I've crossed the gap. You should do the things that I have done, even if they didn't seem proper to you. And then in verse 17, he says, You're, you are blessed if you do them. Okay, so is it if you do this or if you do them? 
And th this is one of the main reasons why in, in the history of the church, and we'll talk a little bit about that, the interpretation of this passage is not that Jesus is establishing something sacramental that we would compare to communion or to baptism, although some churches do, um, is that Jesus is giving an example. And I want you to do these things. I want you to do these service things. I want you to do these acts of humility, these acts of meeting others' needs. And he says a couple of times, actually, I am your master. And I am telling you, Peter, if you don't do this, you can't be part of me. But it's not just command. What does he say there in verse 17? If you do them, you are blessed. And I think in, in, this, in this first passage that we're studying together, I think we see an arc of where we're headed and where we hope to head this year as a church is that we start with recognizing Jesus as master and teacher, that we allow him to clean us, that we submit to him so that we can take part in his people, and then we follow his example in this humble service in order to see the blessing and ultimately to glorify Jesus. And we'll see later, and I'll, I'll leave it to the, the preachers that come after me to talk more about how we point to Jesus when we live like this. This is, this is it, but we also experience his blessing when we live like this. And so, I, I, you know, as we, as we think about this as a church, I just want to say, like, it, sound, it may sound counterintuitive to say the way we walk in the blessing of God is to perform simple, humble acts of service for those who wouldn't expect it. But then this is what Jesus is, is telling us. Another way I look at the Gospels when I study is to look at the people who interact with him and to try to put myself in their position. Because we do have the Holy Spirit. And we, we do have the ability to look like Christ. And he sanctifies us. But I would say for myself, I'm probably closer to all the guys who uh, didn't really understand what was going on. So it's helpful for me to put myself there and say, okay, well, why would I have said what that person said? And why, would I, why should I not? <laughs> what should I learn from them? Okay, so the, the two people that I think really loom large in this passage are Peter, first of all, who resists Jesus washing his feet. And uh, it seems like some of what Jesus said afterwards was in response to Peter because he says, you're, you're calling me master and teacher, and that's right. You have that right. But it's the next logical step that would say a master and a teacher would never do this. And we, we know, from what, from what we know of this time period, it was not uncommon for disciples to wash their, 
uh, their, their teachers, their rabbis' feet from time to time. Um, and, and I think most people can appreciate uh, just in the period the need to wash feet when people wear sandals and, and walk outside a lot. But Peter doesn't think it's appropriate for Jesus to do this, which is interesting. I wonder, it's just a bit coincidental, providential perhaps, that I preached a sermon in November about, do you remember the woman who anointed Jesus's feet with her hair? And uh, do you remember we talked about that? And, and what did Jesus actually say? He said, Simon, to the, to the man who was hosting the dinner, he said, why are you criticizing her? I showed up and you didn't wash my feet. So if I'm a disciple and I hear that, what would I, what should, what would I take away from that? Well, Jesus deserves me washing his feet, right? So, I, I, you know, it's easy for us to, you know, throw rocks at, at Peter, but I think he's trying to put into practice, trying to understand, okay, you are master. I know this. I know you are God. And I see that it's proper to worship you in this way and to serve you in this way. Now, we don't have a record that Peter actually ever did this between these two times, though. So perhaps he did, um, but, 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 but perhaps he'd forgotten. But I think Jesus is saying more than just... Um, more than just, I should do this for you, because what, what, what he uh, is challenging, I think, in Peter is that Peter sees service as the lesser to the greater. So Peter believes the lesser should serve the greater. And I think what Jesus is doing is not contradicting what the woman did, when she came and washed Jesus' feet. But I think he's adding to it. And he's adding and he's saying, not only should you wash my feet, but I should wash your feet and you all should wash each other's feet. This is actually what it looks like for the character of the love of God to fill a community. It's, It's not a hierarchical power organization. It's about whether or not we will allow the spirit of Christ to abide among us. And we must believe that if he is here, he sees each of us. He loves each of us. And if, and if we are willing to take the example of the woman who anointed Jesus' feet because she loved him so much, then that ought to be what we do to our brothers and sisters. The other person that we see here is Judas. And Judas gets a lot. Of, I didn't actually read the rest of the rest of the passage, um, the rest of the chapter. But Judas gets a lot of uh, airtime here. Um, the the problem with Judas is that he does not submit to Christ as master, as teacher. He has his own path for what he thinks the Messiah ought to be, and he's just on that path. The enemy is in his heart. 
And the call to Judas is the same as the call that we have to ourselves and to the world is when the enemy is attacking, when the enemy is attempting to invade and permeate your heart to run, to flee, to ask Jesus for help. And that's the first step Judas did not not take here. And then another thing that I look at when I'm studying the Gospels is is I look at especially some of Jesus' teachings that may not just completely fit with my experience in the church, like foot washing. Okay, well, well, you know, we're not going to foot wash today. Is to look at the, the history of the church. So to look at how the church begins to live out the commands and the teachings of Jesus. And so in this case, um, I wanted to just briefly remind us of what happens in Acts chapter 6 when the church needs help feeding the widows. So very soon, as soon as the church is filled with the Holy Spirit and people start growing, they realize that people need to be fed, and especially women, older women who um, are, are not being treated fairly and aren't getting fed. And I just wanted to read that real quick because I think if we just read one verse, it can be pretty impactful. In Acts 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 3, <clears throat> Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge. Outside of the context, what does that sound like? It sounds appropriate. Let's pick the best guys we have and we're going to put them in charge. What are they put in charge of? They're put in charge of serving food to elderly women. That's what they're put in charge of. So when when I look at how does the church begin to embody this model, this example that Jesus is showing us, we see they begin to do this as soon as the Holy Spirit falls on them and as soon as they see need. And I wanted to bring the kind of a pretty interesting circle. And if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, when Paul is writing to Timothy about how to run the church, and he's talking about widows and how to treat widows. He says in 1 Timothy 5, 9, a widow is to be put on the list. This is the list to receive Uh, formal help from the church. Only if she is not under 60 years old, the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. So what are the elderly women who can't provide for themselves called to do they're called to follow the model of Christ what are the men who have the Holy Spirit and knowledge and authority in the church to do they're called to follow the model of Christ and to meet others needs what are we called to do as a church what are you called to do as an individual, as, as, a, as a wife 
as a husband, as a supervisor, as an employee, as a child? What are, what are you called to do? What is our church called to do? Remember Jesus when he was forming this dream team. Um, these guys, they, they didn't have a lot in common. I mean, a couple of them did. You know, they were probably best friends in the group. But th- there, were, there were people from a tax collector to a fisherman. And what did they have in common? They, they had in common, as Jesus says here, I have called you and I have washed you. And that is what brings us together. That is what binds us in unity. Now, it's easier for us to love and to serve our own children, maybe. To love and serve our friends who are very close to us. Share a lot of thoughts and views. But the further we get outside of the circle, in the flesh, it's harder to do. But with the Holy Spirit when we recognize the spirit of Christ in one another, we can serve by the power of God one another. And I I did want to just provide a bit of a a warning. You know, um, the other story I thought about was, do you remember Martha and Mary that one time when Jesus was there? And you, you know, what we're not talking about here is we need to be, full-time action mode. We need to be over action, right? Because what did, what, what did Jesus say there? He said, basically, you're missing the relationship. And so this isn't, let me see if I can feed more people. Let me get up to 20 people a day. Because it's the, it's the love of Christ in us that is, and that and when we, when we operate out of the love of Christ, that is when we will see this result in blessing for us. That we see the, the blessing that comes out of it and not burden and, um, and weariness. So I wanted to just <clears throat> summarize that the church is called by Christ. We are washed by Christ He is our master, and we are defined by him. That is why we, as an organization, exist. He wants us to love and serve one another. He he gave us an example to point the world to him and to his great love. And I would just ask that this week we would pray for opportunities to do that. And pray for opportunities for us to serve others, to see tasks that may be unpleasant or menial, tasks other people plan to do for themselves anyhow, tasks that may be a bit crossing that this is a too personal kind of realm. And let's ask God to show us how to do some of those. And... Um, and, I, and I've, thought, I've thought a lot about this in, in preparation for today. And if you have time to call on to the Zoom afterwards, I'd like us to share kind of some of those ideas about how we can do that. Uh, but I would just ask that we all pray about that this week. I am sure, I'm like 110% sure that if you ask God, please show me this week a way that I can selflessly 
serve in humility, I guarantee you. Now, I can't guarantee what you'll do when you see that opportunity, but I guarantee you God will show you ways to do that. And just like us to pray in faith that that would happen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your model and example to us. And we pray that you would help us to start walking as your people in your model. We pray that you would show us this week, God, ways that we can cross beyond what is expected, what is required, and take steps of generous, loving service. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.